This week, we're bringing you part two on our series on the psychology of relationships. Today, we're going to talk about gender differences in social and emotional development. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Dr. Debbie, and I've been helping men, women, and couples grow together for more than 25 years. Now it's your turn to learn what I learned and taught as a couples counselor and university professor. You are the wise woman, and this is your personal development podcast packed with instant encouragement and practical tips, and men can learn about women too, because this is a safe place where women are valued and men are respected. We talk about biology, socialization, behavior, emotions, communication, and connection, because men and women are different. Always have been, always will be, and that's a very good thing. Today we are continuing with part two of the psychology of relationships. Our focus today is on gender differences in social and emotional development. You know, several years ago, I put out a relationship survey. Actually, I do this off and on um, with my email list. I'll actually include a, a link to a relationship survey. I did it not long ago, but this is one particular survey answer that I got from a woman. And she said, we have problems agreeing on the way in which we will deal with problems. I want to deal with them when they come up and he wants to think about it on his own for a long time and hope the problem goes away before we talk about it. You know, she's actually spot on with this. Men don't usually like to talk about things. They do think about things and they do hope the problem will go away. So she's right on with that. But there were a lot of other problems, a lot of other things that women complain about when it comes to men. And here are just a few of them. So I have to ask you what bugs you most about the man you love. He won't engage in a casual conversation. He fails to respond when you try to connect. He doesn't talk about his feelings, nor does he value yours. He's closed off and seems irritated by everything. He stonewalls and or appears to feel nothing or to not care about anything. He spends too much time at work. He spends too much time on his phone. Now, these are just a few problems, mostly to do with the idea that men are more closed off. But we got to ask ourselves, why does that happen? And what can you do about it? I didn't always know what I'm about to share with you. It took me a long time. I went through college and graduate school. I raised three boys. And it wasn't until I started working on my doctoral dissertation that I realized that there are some pretty significant information that we do not have access to. And I want to make that available to you. Men are not what we think they are. And there's not really a place where you can learn not only about how they're different, what's different about them, but why they're so different. And that's the part I want to address with you today. So in keeping with my favorite scripture of the year, a wise woman builds her house. And that's why you're here, because you don't want to be the foolish one who tears hers down with her own hands. So let's begin at the beginning. Let's do a quick review of attachment theory. I covered this in more in depth in part one on becoming attached. And you can go back and, and watch that video as well. But let's just go over this very briefly here. You were born with an active attachment system. We do this stuff automatically. We're 
automatically looking for someone to be there for us. As children, we all needed someone who was available and responsive to our needs. And that's not just our physical needs, but it's also our emotional needs to our, we need somebody to respond to our fears, to our sadness, uh, even to our anger in a healthy way to help us understand what it's about and help us make sense of the world. However, very often, we don't have someone who was highly consistent. Depending on how much that happened in our lives, then we became avoidant. That means we became unavailable ourselves, and we also became anxious, non-responsive. And when I say non-responsive, I mean that reactive rather than responsive. And there's a huge difference. Reactive is based on emotions, and responsive is based on what does the other person actually need from me? What do I need? How do I respond to that in a way that helps to meet those needs rather than uh, freak out mode, if you will? And we all do it to one level or another, one day or another. And I still do that too. So, you know, no shame in it. It's just a fact. But it's something that plays very heavily into our relationships, especially as adults. As a child, and I'm going to repeat this a couple of times because I don't want you to forget it. As a child, you needed someone to be consistently available and responsive to your needs. Your early experiences set the baseline for your own level of anxiety and avoidance. The same is true for the man you love. We don't think about other people as much as we would like to think we do. We often are very self-focused. And so that's the part I want to bring to the forefront for you here today is that the man you love has the same needs for someone to be available and responsive. And his early experiences have set the baseline for his level of anxiety and avoidance. So let's dive into that a little bit. Again, all children Girls and boys need someone to be consistently available and responsive to their needs. I know I'm repeating myself and I'm doing that on purpose because I really want you to get those two words into your mind as something that you will never forget. No one is perfect. No parent is perfect. 100% availability and responsiveness would not be optimal because that's not real life. Things happen. Other people have needs. Other people have vulnerabilities. Other people have faults and weaknesses and such. For a child to get the idea that they don't does not really prepare them for life in the world, right? So 100% is not optimal, but we need something that's good enough. That's a large percentage of the time that someone is available and responsive. And I would say that's probably got to be Uh, kind of according to marital research, it's about 86% of the time we need to have someone that is actually responsive to us. So, um, but not 100%, okay? We're not going for perfection. We're just going for excellence. Now, one of the other factors that we need to consider here is the parent and child personality traits. You know, moms and dads and kids are individuals, They don't always have the same personality traits. We talked about that a little bit, just a little bit in the last video. For instance, if a parent is an extrovert and a child is an introvert, they don't understand that about one another. You can see where there could be some conflict. The parent can't understand why the child isn't more outgoing. Or 
Likewise, if parent is introvert and the child is the extrovert, the parent can understand why the child is being so talkative or being so, you know, wild and crazy, if you will, but much more active than than the parent himself or herself would be. Okay, so it's not just moms that affect this outcome. It's also the dads and whether or not the dad is available and what the dad's personality traits are. But also the parent's attachment style. So now we've got a generational thing going because now we're going back and the parents had attachments with their parents. Those attachments will impact the way that the parent grew up, how their personality developed, and how secure their attachment style was. So it's going to flow from generation to generation. Also, we need to take into consideration the parental health. You know, I've, I've had a number of clients over the years where one parent became ill and was not available because of an illness. You know, it could be cancer, it could be an accident, it could be any number of things. It can also be, I had one that was, the parent was severely depressed. Mom was just not available because she was barely being able to keep herself going. So physical health, mental health, emotional health is really important, can have a profound impact on your attachment style. And then the last thing, the one we're going to focus in on the most today is gender. How people interact with a child, whether that child is male or female, makes a huge difference. And you're going to see that as we move into the material a little bit more today. Two aspects we're going to look at. The first one is nature. That is that men and women have biological differences. The second one is that we have a different way of being nurtured. Men and women consequently have different life experiences because we have a tendency to socialize men and women in very different ways. Start with the creation of man, biblical perspective from the book of Genesis. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living person. Okay, so, so far so good. Sounds wonderful. However, there was a problem. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now I underlined that phrase because sometimes that gets interpreted as a woman is second best, that she's not as important as the man, that she is the administrative assistant, if you will, for the man. That is not what that means. It is not translated well into English. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Let's talk first about Adam's ribs. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Woman was fashioned from flesh. Man came from dust. Woman came from flesh. It's interesting when you look at the chromosomes, you've heard of this before, right? The XY is male and the XX is female. And this is just kind of an easy way to remember it, just visually, is that when you look at the Y, there's a leg missing. I like to think of that as that's Adam's rib. That something was taken from the man that formed something that was actually going to be able to be with him and make his life better, fuller, richer. That person that God created is literally called the Ezer Konegdo. 
And the translation of that, it's not helper, it's not administrative assistant, it's not even helpmate, which was a term that was used in some of the earlier translations of the Bible. But it really means a strong warrior, someone who is equal to him, but different in some essential ways that will enrich his life in ways that he couldn't if he didn't have a suitable mate. Okay? Nature. Let's talk a little bit more about our biological differences. Men, as part of the reproductive cycle, produce seed, also known as a sperm. They tend to be bigger than women. Men tend to be stronger than women. Men tend to have more upper body strength than women. Men tend to have what I call a hunter's focus. They zero in on one thing at a time, which has a profound effect on how they relate to other people if there's something that they need to focus on. Men are highly sensitive and action-oriented. Women, on the other hand, produce fruit. Women are smaller. They are built for endurance. Where men are stronger in the short term, women are stronger in the long term. So it's the way we use our energy and the way we interact with our environment um, that comes from our biology. Women also have lower body strength, more so than upper body strength. Women tend to be multifocused. They can concentrate on many things at a given time, at any given time, and that also can cause problems because sometimes we need to focus, but we're thinking about a bazillion other things at the same time, and that can get in the way of how we relate to a husband as well. Women are sensitive. Men are highly sensitive. I think women are sensitive, but they're sensitive to different things than men are. But women are also verbally expressive. They want to talk about things. Men are about taking action. So you can see there are some huge differences that tend to happen from the very beginning. Our emotions are different from the start, and our physicality is different from the start. So take the little girl, for example. She's very emotional. She's very responsive. She's very expressive in her environment. She engages right away. And she tends to be a little gentler in her physical movements, in the things that she chooses to do. And as she gets older, she will prefer to do things that require what we call fine motor skills. She wants to work with her hands or work closely one-on-one. And that's very typical of girls. Not all girls, of course, but it's very typical of little girls. Now let's contrast the little boy. Little boys are highly emotional. The research shows that they're actually far more sensitive to changes in the environment, especially to their mothers, than little girls are. They cry more, they're harder to soothe, but they also coo more and laugh more and play more. And the physicality part for little boys is this is something that I think a lot of moms of sons don't initially understand is that they really need the rough and tumble play. They need to be able to use their bodies to physically engage with the environment. So they like the rough and tumble play even more than little girls do. Little girls like it, but little boys crave it. And if they don't have it, they start to kind of shrivel on the vine. So both of those things are now going to contribute to how they experience life. How the parent interacts with the child is going to give them a different experience. 
Girls are taught to express their emotions. They're taught to ask for help. And they're taught that someone will be there for them when they need them. On the other hand, boys are taught, don't cry. You've heard that before. Big boys don't cry. Never ask for help. And you have to find a solution on your own. Hmm. Is that really true? Is that what we teach our kids? Well, let's take a look at a study that was done a couple decades ago, at least. And it has to do with how distressed we get and how people respond to that distress. So our example is a little girl in the playground. She's a toddler. She's out there playing, having a good time, enjoying herself. There are other children around and another child takes the toy that she's playing with and she begins to cry and she immediately looks to her caregiver. And I say caregiver because it could be any adult that's there with her, whether it's mom or it's dad or it's a nanny or grandma or a babysitter, whoever's there with her, the adult that's there to watch out for her. She will cry and look to the caregiver for help to be rescued. The caregiver actually starts to develop that expectation in her because as soon as the caregiver sees something happen to the little girl, they take action. They move to rescue her. They move to comfort her. They will correct the other child. They'll take the toy from the other child, scold that child, give them a little mini lecture on how you need to be nice, you need to play nice, that belongs to her. The solution comes from the caregiver and the caregiver will hand that back to the little girl and comfort her in the process. And she's just learned it's okay to express your emotions, it's okay to ask for help, and that somebody's gonna be there and somebody's gonna be responding to what you need right away. So that's the little girl's experience. And you would think given that we all need someone who's available and responsive to our needs, that that would be true across the board. However, the little boy on the playground, remember he is actually more sensitive than she is, but he's more rough and tumble. So it can be a little confusing because he looks rowdy. He looks like he's having a great time but then somebody takes his toy and it hurts his feelings just as much as it hurt the little girls. The big difference is how the caregiver responds to his distress. Most of the time, according to the study, most of the time the caregiver would hold back and wait to see what he does. They oftentimes will act like they didn't notice anything happened because they're waiting for the little boy to take his own action, to take care of himself, if you will. If he does go over to the caregiver and he complains or he's crying, the first question he most often gets, especially according to this particular study, the the question he gets is, what's wrong? And if he's crying while he's talking, then the caregiver will say, stop crying or stop crying, I can't understand what you're saying. And he is expected to tell what the problem is. Hesha has to go into detail in order to get help, where the little girl, all she had to do was cry and maybe look to the caregiver. The little boy then, if he explains what happened, he took my toy. Then the next question he gets is, what are you going to do about it? Or so what? And now he's confused because he's hurt. He's looking for comfort. He's looking for someone to be responsive to his needs and no one is. And so he has to figure out what he's going to do about it. So he's just learned big boys don't cry. 
don't ask for help because you're going to have to justify your reasons for asking for help. It's not just help me. It's why do you need help? What is the problem? Get into detail. And then the last thing is nobody's going to figure this out for you. You got to figure it out for yourself. So very, very different experiences for the little girl than for the little boy, even as toddlers. So different nature, different nurture. It's always going to equal different outcomes. Women, they are all about that emotional connection and they do emotional connection through conversation. They share stories. They share secrets with one another. They talk about things. Words are very, very important to women. They also have this idea that there's some sort of mystical teamwork that's going to take place. And she gets that idea as a little girl because someone is always coming in to rescue. So it's like, okay, well, if we get together and we talk about it and you get where I'm coming from and I get where you're coming from, we're going to come up with a solution. So that means we have to talk about things together. We don't have to have a solution. We just have to talk and we'll find a solution. It'll work. And it feels almost mystical in how that takes place. When it doesn't happen, she will end up feeling frustrated and anxious. She also can end up feeling abandoned and alone if her partner does not engage with her in this conversation. So you can see we're already setting this up that she has got totally different expectations based on how she was raised, but also on her own biology that set the stage for problems as an adult in a relationship with a man. Okay, so let's look at the men. Men have something, they experience something that happens so often, it's called normative developmental trauma. And basically what that means, that experience that boys have repeatedly throughout their childhood years, starting as young as toddler, it means that they are emotionally abandoned. And it's just, it's so normal to be traumatized in that way that it's come up with, the researchers came up with this term, normative developmental trauma. They also experience something called male relational dread. And what that means is that he's in uncharted territory. She wants to talk. He's been taught not to talk, not to share his feelings, not to be vulnerable, to come up with his own solutions. And now she wants to talk about it. And if he doesn't engage with her the right way, then her frustration and her anxiety is going to escalate and it's not going to be good. For an adult male, this has happened often enough for him that it is referred to in the research as male relational dread. So you got to keep that stuff in mind when we're engaged in relationship with the opposite sex. Let's go back and look at the chart we had in the very beginning about anxiety and avoidance. Okay, we talked about this extensively in the first video, part one on becoming attached. But I want to review it real quickly here. So if you have a healthy, secure person, male or female, doesn't matter, if they are low on avoidance and low on anxiety, then they have a secure attachment style. Now, that security does not depend on 100% responsiveness and availability. We talked about that already. What it does mean is that when the secure person gets anxious, 
which we do. Life is anxiety provoking. There's not a day goes by that we don't have some sort of minor anxiety to a major anxiety occur. It's just part of life. But when a secure person experiences that, they are low in avoidance, which means they're going to approach someone who cares about them. They're going to get their emotional needs met. Someone's going to respond to them and things are going to come back into balance. It works really, really well. But as we said before, there are some folks who are highly anxious and low on avoidance, and they are the focus people. They are those people who will be preoccupied with the, the temperature of the relationship, and they'll be anxious and they'll be pursuing. They may even attack or blame or criticize someone else because of that anxiety and because they have not experienced sufficient amount of responsive and responsivity and availability to their emotional needs. And so they, they become much more anxious. So pursuers, um, someone who wants to talk about it right away. We go back to the woman that I mentioned in the survey at the beginning. She would be one of those focused people. I want to talk about this. He doesn't want to talk about it. And so she keeps pursuing him to try to get him to engage in the conversation. It's not going anywhere for her. Okay, and she doesn't know what else to do. The next part, uh, or the next possibility we have here is the fearful person. They are high on anxiety and high on avoidance, which means they feel really anxious, but they want to avoid talking about it. Does that sound familiar? I mean, this is really starting to, can you see how things are set up for biology and for the way we're nurtured as boys and girls? Men are taught to avoid, they're taught to avoid emotions. They're taught to avoid conflict, believe it or not. They're taught to take action. They're taught to solve problems on their own. And so they're naturally going to pull back and they become the person who withdraws, who defends himself, if you will, in whatever way. And oftentimes men will defend themselves by withdrawing. And if you continue to pursue them and try to get them to talk about what's going on, then eventually they'll get angry and they will lash back even if they are fearful and very avoidant. So you want to keep that one in mind. And then the last one that we talked about was the detached. And these are individuals who, for whatever reason, have had enough things happen that they've learned to completely disconnect their feelings from uh, their experience. And those folks, more than likely, if you're a detached person, you wouldn't even be watching this video because it just wouldn't be that important to you. It'd be just like, ah, you know, forget it and move on. They're very high on avoidance, and they've learned to ignore their anxiety, even a normal part of relational anxiety or life anxiety. It's just like emotionally detached. And that person tends to be, very often tends to be male also. Now, I want to make sure that you understand it does not mean that if you're female, you're going to be focused. If you're male, you're going to be fearful or detached, and that's not true. But what I found in my clinical practice, you know, after 25 years, most of the time, it was the woman who was the pursuer. It was the man who was the withdrawer. So we're mostly talking about that percentage of people who are not secure. So we'll just remove that from our equation. So we're really looking at people who are focused, fearful, or detached. Disconnection. Let's talk about that. Disconnection is the number one problem in in marriages. It's emotional disconnection between that availability and responsiveness that we so desperately need. And in that process, we have someone who pursues and someone who 
tries to put distance between. So, you know, he won't talk to her. She's been pursuing for a while and now she's a little exhausted and she's trying to figure out what her next strategy is going to be. You can see that look on her face like, what am I going to do? And he's just like, I wish she would just stop talking. And he hasn't actually walked away, but if she pursues him much longer, he's likely to get up and walk away. On the other hand, sometimes it's the man who's the pursuer and the woman who's the distancer. Now, this could be at the beginning of a negative cycle or it could be toward the end of the negative cycle. He could have been the one who was coming after her about something. And this does happen. In my experience, about 25% of the time, he would be the one that comes after her because his anxiety is high, his avoidance is low, and now he has become that person. Another likely scenario for this picture is that she has been pursuing him. He's been stonewalling her to the point where he's finally just wants her to stop talking and she's not. So he turns on her and now her feelings are hurt and she is pulled away. So the cycle, you drive what one person drives what the other person does. And it's not always the same person that does it. it it's a, a synergistic cycle where one drives the other. And any intervention at any point can make a huge difference in how the outcome of that negative cycle begins to develop and to change. If you don't do something different, it's not going to change. And that's really what I'm trying to teach you about now. Simple steps, simple solutions. I've got to tell you, they're not always easy. The first thing that we want to do, I'm just going to give you three quick steps. The first one is don't fall for these two lies. And the first one is that men are stupid. And the second one is that women are crazy. Neither one of those are true. Men are not stupid. They handle emotions differently than women do. Women are not crazy. They handle emotions differently than men do. So it has nothing to do with being stupid or crazy. It has to do with our nature and our nurture. Those critical differences in who we are from our genetics, from our DNA, and how we are treated, how we're socialized, how we're taught to be in this world is going to bring different outcomes. So that's the thing that you want to keep in mind. Don't fall for those lies. Number two, seek wisdom, seek understanding. Because your biology and your experiences are hugely different, you need to understand what those differences are to embrace them, to appreciate them, rather than criticize them and attack them and blame them and make fun of them. Because of your different experiences, you have a different worldview than your mate does. And that's a good thing because that means you've got more than one perspective when you're facing an issue, you're facing a problem. And learning to work together in that is absolutely priceless in getting through life together. And that's why I think God created male and female so we could have a partner with a totally different perspective, with a totally different way of looking at things that would help us fare better in this world. Now, I got to say also that keep in mind abuse and neglect are going to amplify those gender differences. And that is true for men and for women. I think it's more profoundly true for men. However, it is true for women as well. And then career can also amplify those gender differences. And the first thing that comes to my mind is military, law enforcement, and firefighters. 
those particular careers are going to amplify the gender differences. When you go through that training, you've got to learn to shut off your emotions and take care of business. Life, your life, other people's lives depend on it. And so someone who works in those careers can be really have a hard time in a marriage. I actually did a video about being married to a warrior. And so um, you might want to check that out. It's, it's here on YouTube too. I'll put the link down below. And then finally is that you're going to choose to respond differently. You're going to choose to respond with wisdom on your side. We always have choices, no matter what happens. We have choices. We are not victims. Now I say that, and I know there are people who are victims. I know there are people who are victims of current abuse, of current trauma. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who's just not getting along with their mate. Don't take the, the victim mentality. There's always something you can do about it. And the first place you wanna start is with wisdom. Learn as much as you can. Learn when and how to apply that knowledge to real life circumstances. It'll make life go a lot better for you. Now, if you don't know what your romantic attachment style is, that would be a good place to start. And you can take that free assessment on my website at drdebbysmith.com attachment. I'll also put that link down below and make sure that you can get to it very quickly. It is a downloadable file and it explains the different attachment styles and helps you assess what your attachment style is. You can also use it to try to understand your partner's attachment style because it's the two of you together that create the marriage. The marriage isn't something that happens because you choose to create a marriage. A marriage is actually a byproduct of your interactions with each other. So the quality of that marriage is going to depend on those interactions that you have with each other. I hope today helped and we'll talk again real, real soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Wise Woman's Guide to Men and Marriage. What did you think? Did the information raise more questions? Do you want to learn more? Head over to wisewomansguide.com for show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode. And if you're looking for other wise women to bounce around ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for women on Facebook. The link is waiting for you at awisewomansguide.com.